This morning's reflection is about equanimity. Here in Taos, we have what is considered a sacred mountain. And it's one amongst many high mountains that surround us here in the Taos Valley. This sacred mountain is actually within the Taos Pueblo, the village of the Tiwa Indians that sits at the north edge of town. And this particular mountain is sacred to the Tiwa people. It's also a sacred symbol for many Taosenos. I have the good fortune to be able to look out at it and take it in in every season, any time of the day or night, and any day of the year, as it's clearly visible from where I live. This mountain, or any mountain, just simply sits where it is. The sun shines on it, rain and hail fall on it, snow covers it, lightning sometimes strikes it, fires occasionally rage on it. All sorts and forms of life are born and die on it, living out their particular life patterns on and with the mountain. And the mountain remains unshakable, unwavering. The mountain of acceptance, the mountain of impartiality, the mountain of equanimity. The mountain itself is a live energy, but only exists in relationship to all of the myriad lively, constantly changing energies that constitute it. The mountain appropriately sustains and supports the activity that is intricately and intimately connected to. The mountain of equanimity doesn't cling on and it isn't attached or averse to anything. We might say that it lets life live through itself, closing off to nothing and holding on to nothing. And all of this happens with the amazing grace of impartiality and balance. Equanimity is the fearlessness, the power, and the equilibrium of the mind, the heart, to experience all kinds of change. the fearlessness, the power, and the balance of the heart and mind to experience every sort of manifestation and change in relationship to all of our internal experiences and all of our external experiences. Whether these experiences are pleasant or unpleasant. The Buddha described what he called six-limbed equanimity meaning equanimity in relationship to what comes in at each of the six sense doors, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and the mind door. 
Equanimity is the fearlessness, great strength and ease of the mind, of the heart, to remain centered and unmoved in the midst of it all. The literal translation of the word, the Pali word for equanimity, which is upekka, the literal translation of upekka is onlooking. So equanimity looks on, we could say, at the occurrences of physical and mental pleasure and pain by maintaining a neutral mold, by staying in the middle, staying in the center, and watching things, so to say, as they arise and pass. On looking, it sees them fairly, without favoritism or without bias, without partiality. The function of equanimity is to inhibit partiality. Consequently, equanimity manifests as neutrality. To bring a practical understanding of this, we can use the metaphor of putting a a spoonful of salt into a cup of water. And because of the very small container, the water will be extremely salty, very harsh and undrinkable. But if we put a spoonful of water into the Rio Grande River, it won't, of course, have the same effect because of the enormous amount of water, or enormous amount of water that the salt is being putting in, put into because of the great spaciousness, the flowing wateriness that the salt is put into. And of course, we know that life can be quite salty at times. It's how it is. One aspect of the development of equanimity is about creating the spaciousness of heart and mind into which which we can meet and look on at all of life's everyday experiences as well as all of the subtleties of the internal and external phenomena that we come to see and know. We learn to look on through our practice with balance, with equipoise, with the heart of greatness. Upeka is based on an attentive clear presence of mind, not on a dullness or indifference. And it's not a kind of casual passing mood. And it's not produced by exertion. It's one of the fruits of our practice, the fruit of training the mind and the heart through the development and the blossoming of the factors of mindfulness, investigation, balanced effort, joy, tranquility, concentration, loving-kindness, and compassion. A true equanimity is able to meet all of the vicissitudes of life. 
the flip-flops that we encounter through our whole life. Praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and pain, fame or distinction, or disrepute or disrespect, disregard. All of these things, as we know, come to us throughout our life. A true equanimity is able to meet all of these what sometimes feel like harsh experiences. And it's actually quickly able to regenerate itself, its strength, from our inner resources, the resources that have been developed through our diligent practice. And from the Buddha, develop the mind of equilibrium. You will always be getting praise and blame, but do not let either affect the poise of the mind. Follow the calmness, the absence of pride. just to share a a little bit from a really wonderful uh, book of teachings from 12th century Zen Master Dogen. He calls it How to Cook Your Life. And he uses the work of the monastery cook, the Tenzin, Tenzo, Tenzin, Tenzo. (laughs) And our relationship to food, which of course is so much a part of our life, he uses this relationship to food to teach us in this case, about equanimity. And, of course, we can bring this teaching immediately close to us, to our life, when we're home, when we're back home, and we're cooking either for ourselves or cooking for friends or for family. And this is from Dogen. Handle even a single leaf of a green in such a way that it manifests the body of the Buddha. This in turn allows the Buddha to manifest through the leaf. This is a power you cannot grasp with your rational mind. It operates freely according to the situation in a most natural way. At the same time, this power functions in our lives to clarify and settle activities and is beneficial to all living beings. A dish is not necessarily superior because you've prepared it with choice ingredients. Nor is a soup inferior because you've made it with ordinary greens. When handling and selecting greens, do so wholeheartedly, with a pure mind, and without trying to evaluate their quality in the same way in which you would prepare a splendid feast. In practicing the Dhamma, delicious and ordinary tastes are the same and not two. There's an old saying, the mouth of a monk or the mouth of a yogi is like an oven. And this next part is obviously from Dogen's time. Just as an oven burns both sandalwood for incense and cow dung for cooking, without distinction, our mouths should be the same. There should be no distinction between delicious food and food which is plain and simple. We should be satisfied 
with whatever we receive. And closing the reflection this morning with a, a short piece from the Buddha from uh, this book uh, or collection called The Udana, Inspired Utterances of the Buddha. Whose mind stands like a mountain, steady, is not perturbed, unattached to things that arouse attachment, unangered by things that provoke anger. When her or his mind is cultivated thus, how can suffering come to her or him? <laughs>